If we haven't met before, my name is Ashley and I'm the senior pastor here. And we're starting a brand new series today called The Sauce. Everybody say, The Sauce. The Sauce. The Sauce. Prayer is the sauce that we put on everything. I want to give a special shout out to our props team. They do an amazing job making all of this look awesome making it immersive. You know, Jesus always taught in parables and stories, and he made God's word and his teachings applicable to our lives. And in the same way, we say, you know, church should not be endured. It's meant to be enjoyed. And we are here to enjoy God's presence today. How many of you are sauce people? Like you love sauce on your food. Oh yeah, you have a salad just so you can have some dressing. You're like, oh, here's a lettuce leaf. And you just you know, douse it in dressing. Uh, maybe you can't have a good steak without a little A1 on it, you know. Or maybe ketchup is your favorite part of French fries. <laughs> Yesterday, we took our kids to a Chinese restaurant and our son Ryder, he's five, he's like, oh yes, my favorite Chinese food, French fries. <laughs> I don't think he realizes that that's not a Chinese food, it's what he always orders. And he's like, these are the best. And the lady's so nice, she always gives him this bowl of ketchup just to bathe his fries in, you know. If you're a sauce person, maybe you like aioli, ranch, sour cream, sriracha. Yeah. We love sauce, right? Well, in the same way that we can put sauce on everything, we can put prayer on everything too. Philippians talks about praying about everything. Come on. Just like sauce takes your food from bland and boring to bold and blessed. That's what prayer does in our lives as well. And today we're talking about power in prayer. There is power in prayer. Come on. And if you don't believe it yet, I'm hoping by the end of this next 30 minutes, you're going to be like, there is power in prayer, man. You can't keep me from praying. It's powerful. Today is Palm Sunday. This is the day where Jesus entered Jerusalem on his final week of life. And he entered and everyone was like, yeah, Jesus. And they were so excited. They just started ripping palm branches off of trees and laying them on the street in front of him. And they were like, yay, Hosanna. They were worshiping him. I remember when I was a kid, my grandma always got a palm branch in church and she would hang it on her mirror. Anybody else have those kind of memories? Just palm branches lying around like, what is that for? That's what it's for, Palm Sunday. On Thursday of this week, Jesus would be arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. And we're going to look at that today, John 18, 1. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples. He crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They're carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. So we got Jesus with his 11 guys in the garden, and we've got Judas, the one who would betray him. He comes with a detachment of soldiers. And I don't know if you've ever seen like The Passion of the Christ or movies that kind of uh, portray this scene, but usually they have like, I don't know, 10 or 20 or 30 soldiers around Jesus. Well, the actual text, it refers to 500 soldiers. So we've got 500 guys for one Jesus. Here we go. They're like, we're going to arrest him. It's crazy. Verse 4. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and he asked them, who is it that you want? Verse 5. Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, I am he, Jesus said. 
When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and they fell to the ground. They fell to the ground under the power of God. 500 soldiers, he said, I am he, three words. And he's like Neo on the Matrix, you know, coming down and going, and all these Mr. Smiths go, I am he. And maybe you missed that when you've read the story of Jesus and Holy Week and all of that before. I am he. There is power in what he said. Now, there are other times in the Gospels when Jesus said, I am, and people didn't fall to the ground. You can go look. He said, I'm the gate. Anyone who enters through me will be saved. He said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. My sheep know my voice and I know them. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. Come on. He says, I'm the bread of life. He he who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. He says, I'm the true vine. Remain in me, connected to me, and you will bear much fruit. I'm the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Those are all really powerful. I am But what's the difference between all of those, who Jesus is, and this one? It's verse 1. It said, when Jesus had finished praying. They came to arrest Jesus who had just spent time with God the Father. Have you ever been around people praying where you're like, whoa, there's power in their prayers. Like, when they pray, things happen. Like, they've been with Jesus. It's like charging your phone. You know, you use it, and the battery goes down all day, and then you plug it in, and it recharges. It fills up with power. It's the same for us with God. When you spend time charging your batteries with him, you have a different power through the Holy Spirit. Your being with God anoints everything that you do for God with power. Jesus said, come to me and drink and liver, or, or, livers, <laughs> rivers of living water will flow from within you. He says the Holy Spirit will fill you to overflowing. When you come to me and drink, come to me in prayer. And then when you walk into a room, what happens is the spirit of God in your life, he changes things and there's joy in your presence and there's peace because God's presence is with you and things start happening and people are like, what is this? It's the power of God. There's power in your prayers. So when Jesus got done praying, he said, I am he. 500 people fell to the ground under the power of God. You guys interested in what he was praying about? What is his secret sauce? So we're going to look at it. It's the chapter before. This is the longest prayer from Jesus that we see in the Bible. It's 26 verses. The Lord's Prayer is the most famous one, but that's only 10 verses. So here's 26 verses right before he's about to get arrested and go to the cross, die, and fulfill his purpose and be resurrected. He prays for three things. He prays for himself, because you know when you're about to do something hard, you got to pray for yourself, right? He prays for his disciples because he's about to leave them. They're his loved ones, the ones he cares about. And then he, he prays for all believers, all believers in the future and lost people. 
He prays for us. That's so cool. Jesus prays for us. All right, John 17, 1. He's praying for himself. He's about to do the hardest thing in his life. Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the time has come. Reveal the glory of your son so that he can give the glory back to you. For you have given him authority over every man and woman in all the earth. He gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life by knowing you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. How do we have eternal life? By knowing Jesus, by knowing God. That's the way. Verse 4, I brought glory to you here on earth by doing everything you told me to do. Everything you told me to do. And now, Father, reveal my glory as I stand in your presence, the glory we shared before the world began. So he's like, God, everything you told me to do, I did it. And I'm about to complete the work that you sent me to do. And he says, use my life to bring you glory. And we can pray the same thing. God, use my life to bring you glory. Come on. And that's a powerful prayer because all of a sudden our life is not about ourself. It's about our Father. It's actually the best way to live. And we're going to talk about a little bit more. When you're going into a meeting, you're like, wow, there's a lot at stake here. You're like, God, use me to bring you glory in that meeting. When you wake up in the morning and you're getting your kids around and the baby's crying and you've got a million errands and you've got to do groceries and clean the house and all the things, God, use my life to bring you glory. When you're headed to school, God, use my life to bring you glory. Just getting up in the morning, use my life to bring you glory. And that's point one today. You can write it down if you're taking notes on, in a journal or on your phone or just take a picture of it with your phone. I think it's really helpful, and you can use these in your prayer time this week. What do, what do I pray for? Here's, here's one thing. Use my life to bring you glory, just like Jesus. And how do we bring glory to God? Simply by being who he made us to be and doing what he tells us to do. It's like if you think of a, a masterpiece painting, like a Rembrandt. How does it bring its creator glory? By being what it's supposed to be and doing what it's supposed to do. It's showing off the glory of the creator. It's a masterpiece. How do you know what God wants you to do? Well, it's written in the Bible. There's a lot of things in there that God says, hey, this is how to live your life. These are keys for success. There's standards that God has for all of us, all of his kids. I think about standards and the things that we as parents ask our kids to do. Sometimes I ask my kids to do stuff and they're like, I don't feel like it. Can anybody relate? I don't feel like it. Or they're like, Mom, did you really mean that? You know, I think we do the same thing to God. Oh, God, I know you're speaking, but I don't feel like it. Or, yeah, but is that what that verse really means? Can't I just use it this way? Our daughter, we always ask her to brush her teeth. And for a little stretch of time, you know, she didn't brush her teeth. And there are consequences and she got some cavities. And you, you know what she does now? She brushes her teeth. <laughs> and in the same way, there are natural consequences to our decisions. God has the best things for us. And when we'll do what he says to do, man, we thrive. But when we're like, oh, I think I want to do it this way, or I don't really feel like your way, God, 
There are naturally consequences. He's not punishing us. It's just those are consequences of our actions. The same way I don't give my kids cavities, they're choosing those things. Not anymore. We don't want to live our life based on feelings. The Bible says, if you live according to your flesh, you'll die. You'll have death in different areas of your life. I know the world says, you know, just do what feels right. It's not hurting anybody. But I would say, how do you know it's not hurting anybody? Do you know the whole future? Can you see the end from the beginning? Don't live by your feelings. It's a path that leads to death. And then don't define your life based on your thoughts either. God says, my thoughts, they're higher than your thoughts. My ways, they're, they're actually higher than your ways. And what I want you to do is take all of your thoughts captive and make them obedient to my thoughts. Make them obedient to my word because that will transform you from the inside out. Proverbs 14, 12 says, there's a way that seems right to a man, but its end in the way, it's, its end is the way to death. Lots of things seem right. Oh, that seems like it would feel right. I think that's right. But it ends in death. It has consequences that steal from us and destroy us. But how can we know the way? We get to know Jesus. We have eternal life. We have abundant life through him. John 14, 6, he answered, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. What's the way? Jesus, I am the way. And as you get to know Jesus and his ways, you actually discover who you are because of him. You discover who you are because God loves you. You discover how he's gifted you. You discover the passions that he's put within you. He has plans and purposes specific to you. And his will for your life will always be in alignment with his word. Sometimes we get weird about his will weird about his will. Say that five times past. We get weird about his will because we're like, I don't want to mess it up. This is real life. But again, if we think of him as a good father, like he tells us to, well, I'm a parent. And if my kids come to me, they're five and seven and they're like, oh, we just don't know if we should play on the swing set or do Monopoly. I don't know what your will is, mom. I'd be like, you guys calm down. Okay. You can do either thing because my will is I love you. I want you to experience my love. As kids, I want them to grow and become people who they're supposed to be. I want to see the gifts within them come out. I want to see them learn how to work together. But as to whether they do the swing set or monopoly, it doesn't matter. I let them choose. They have free will. It's the same way with us and God. Sometimes we put so much pressure on, should I take this job? Or this job. And God's like, I'm giving you options. You choose. Should I marry this person? Should I do that thing? Well, what does his word say? And then you choose according to his word and who he made you to be. So the first thing that we can pray for is, God, use my life to bring you glory. Use my life to bring you glory. The second thing he prays for Jesus prays for his disciples. John 17, 11, Now I'm leaving the world and leaving my disciples behind, and I'm coming to you, God. I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but to keep them safe from Satan's power. They're not part of this world any more than I am. Make them pure and holy through teaching them your words of truth. There's his word again. Ending them into the world. Just like Jesus prayed for the people that he spent the most time with, we can pray for our loved ones and our friends and the people closest to us. 
Jesus prays for them to be safe from the enemy. Now, this is before he went to the cross. He's still alive, you know, praying. Because the enemy has power in the world. But at the cross, Jesus defeated him. And when you give your life to Jesus, you have authority over the enemy in your life, in your household, anywhere someone invites you to pray for them. Anytime someone asks you about the hope that you have, you have authority. We don't have to let the schemes of the enemy rob us of anything in the abundant life. We can resist the devil and he flees. We can declare, I have a sound mind and every lie that tries to pop up, it can go in Jesus' name. The second thing we pray for, we'll put it up on the screen. We say, thank you that no weapon formed against us can prosper. That's in our life and our friends and family. No weapon formed against us can prosper because of Jesus. Sometimes we get a little misguided and we're like, oh, I just can't wait till heaven. Just wish I could, you know, get out of the world, withdraw from it. But that's not what Jesus said. He's like, God, don't take them out of the world. Keep them in the world. That's where I want them. I want them at that workplace. I want them at that playgroup. I want them in those positions of influence so that they can bring heaven down to earth. We have purpose here on earth. Come on. How do we do that? Part of it is being pure and holy like Jesus prayed. Not because we're avoiding the world like, ah, oh, sorry, I can't go out to dinner with you. Got to be pure and holy. Stay home. No, no, no. We're holy because we're holy branches connected to the vine, to Jesus. Because he is holy and we are connected to him, we're holy. We can rest in him. We can remain in relationship with him. And as we pray, what will happen is we'll start to see places in our lives that maybe aren't thriving, that maybe need pruned a little bit to get them into alignment with our vine. The third thing we pray is, Give us clean hands and pure hearts. Renew a right spirit within us. Jesus prayed for his disciples to be pure and holy. We're saying, God, we want that same thing. Clean hands, pure heart, right spirit. That's what King David prayed. Last year I had to make a lot of decisions, and some of them were hard for some people. And the whole time I prayed, God, give me clean hands, pure heart, renew a right spirit in me. Because above all, I want to please him. But I also know that sometimes I'm human, I make mistakes, I make decisions, so I don't want dirty hands that hurt someone, I don't want impure motives, clean hands, pure heart, right spirit from God. I want to clean out anything that isn't alignment with his word just by surrendering it to Jesus. It's not bad if you're like, oh man, I have a place of unforgiveness, what do I do? I don't know, it's like, oh, I have a place of unforgiveness. Here you go, Jesus, I trust you with this thing. Will you help me to forgive? I choose to bless my enemy. Any place we have a, just something where we're like, I gossip, or whatever the thing is, I lied, I'm worried. Whatever thing isn't in alignment with him, we say, God, I surrender that with you. Will you clean that out of me? Any place that's blocking you, will you remove that so I can be filled with more of you, more of your spirit, more of your goodness, less of me? We don't want to put a lid on anything that God wants to do in our lives because this life is preparation for eternity. And so we want to be faithful to what God has for us here so we can be trusted with more in our forever, in his eternity. Because this life is this big and eternity is so big. 
All right, we're going to look at the last section of Jesus' prayer. John 17, 20, it says, I'm not praying for these alone, but also for future believers who will come to me because of the testimony of these. He's praying for us. Here's his prayer for us. My prayer for all of them is that they will be of one heart and mind in unity. Just as you and I are one, Father, that just as you are in me and I am in you, they will be in us and the world will believe you sent me. Because of our unity, the world will believe in Jesus. Because what happens is a bunch of humans, this many humans, walking in unity, there has to be a God, right? Verse 23 I and them, you and me, all be perfected into one. The world will know you sent me and will understand you love them as much as you love me. Come on. You see, when we're reconciled to other people, when we're loving other people, that demonstrates the love of God and how he reconciles himself to other people. And then through our unity, the world believes in Jesus and understands that God loves them. So the fourth thing that we pray is, God, open my eyes to any place I can show people your love. Open my eyes. Because what happens is we just get busy in life and our heads are down and we've got all these things going on. And we say, God, I need you to open my eyes to see the places where you want to love people through me. Do you know God loves every person he created every single one of us. The Bible says he sends rain on the just and the unjust. He makes the sunrise on the good and the evil. He's kind to the unthankful and kind to the evil. It's his goodness that changes our lives. He's indiscriminate with his love. Even if you're the worst sinner in the world, he loves you the same way he loves Jesus. That's our Father. That's who He is. Second Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is patient with you. He doesn't want anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. That means He wants everyone to change their mind about who He is. He wants everyone to say, I want to trust in Jesus. I don't want to do life by myself. I don't want to try to earn being good enough, God. No, I want to receive what you did for me at the cross. And he gives everyone time to know him. My kids were like, you know, why isn't heaven just like right now? It's because God is giving us time so that everyone can come to know him. So they can change their mind about who he is. You know, sometimes well-meaning people say things like, Jesus won't love you if you do this or that or X, Y, or Z. That's a lie. He may not want you to do something because it's not in line with his will and his word, but he will still love you. His love changes us. We're loved first and then our actions follow. But the thing is people get blinded to God's love because they believe lies like that that become strongholds. And sometimes these are lies that we've believed since childhood about who God is. 2 Corinthians 4.1 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The God of this age. That's Satan. That's the enemy. He has the authority 
to blind unbelievers so they can't see Jesus. Because in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, we had the keys to the kingdom from God, and we gave them to the enemy. And Jesus bought back our authority, yes, but we still live in a world where the enemy has dominion, and his time is limited, but he has the authority to blind people's eyes. I think of it like this. No human in their right mind would go driving down the road at 100 miles an hour, past some signs that say, bridge out, don't pass, stop. Nobody would do that. I don't care who you are and what you believe. You would not do that. You would not drive over a cliff at 100 miles per hour if you were in your right mind. But you might if you're drunk. You might if you're distracted. You might if... It's the same. The God of this world has blinded people's minds. If they could see the goodness of God and who he really is, they would trust him. But because of Jesus, we can take up our authority for other people, for people who have blinders on. We can pray for the blinders to be removed because your prayers have power. You have authority because of Jesus. So the fifth thing, the last thing that we pray for, learning from these prayers of Jesus, is I say, in the name of Jesus, I break the power of the enemy over this person's life, and I claim their salvation. We can pray for people who don't know Jesus. That's called intercession. It's where someone who knows him stands in the gap for someone else. When I was about 14, my dad and I would go to church together his friend invited us. And my mom, she would stay behind. She had a church hurt from when she was in her 20s. And she was actually kind of belligerent about us going to church. Like, honestly, she was kind of mean about it. She would do things to try to make us stay home. You could tell she was just hurting. And as a 14-year-old, you know, what am I going to do? I could pray for her. And I prayed for her a lot of weeks. Sometimes I would forget. But every time that she would be like frustrated and angry and not coming to church with us, I would pray for her. And she trusted in Jesus. One day she's like, I'm coming to church. And now she's in heaven. And that's the power of our prayers. Maybe you're here today and you're discouraged because you've been walking with Jesus and your loved ones, they don't know him. Your wife, your husband, your kids, your parents. I want to show you a promise from God for you. It's Acts 16, 31. It says, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. You see, it's a promise that when you get saved, your household is going to follow. You can declare that promise over your loved ones. You can declare that promise over their life. You can declare that your spouse is going to come to know Jesus. And not just for your household, though. Ask God to allow you to see your daily routine the way that he sees it. Invite the Holy Spirit to go with you throughout your week and to give you eyes to show people love. 
Are there people that maybe you've discounted because you're familiar with them or because they're too far gone? People that God's like, I haven't given up on them. People that God's like, I put you in their life because I know you're going to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth in that family, in that workplace. You see, you're God's plan A. He's like, hey, you guys are the messengers. You get to speak for Jesus. Jesus did all the work. Now you get to tell the world about him. Maybe you have somebody in mind that you've been praying for a few days or years. We're going to believe that as you're praying for them, the Holy Spirit is drawing people to himself. I was reading this story about a guy and a girl. They were dating, and they went on vacation somewhere like the Bahamas. They were partying it up at the beach. And all of a sudden, the girl was like, that is weird. I feel the love of God. I feel the power of the Holy Spirit. What? This was a girl who was like, mocking things of God. She's like, what is going on? You know, they weren't at church, they were at the beach. They got home and they found out that 30 of their friends had gone to church. They had trusted in Jesus and they're like, hey, we don't want you guys to be left out. They were praying for them at that very moment. Come on, our, pa- our prayers have power, the power of the Holy Spirit. So this week, you know, we're coming up on Easter and I wanna encourage us to be praying for people. Every Sunday is a great day for somebody to trust in Jesus. Not just Easter, every single week. We pray for them and then we take action with our prayers. We invite them. You know, most people are just waiting to be asked. When I was a teen and kids in school would talk about, hey, you know, we're celebrating Easter this week at a church. They're the kids with the Bibles and the kids that pray in class. I'm like, that's cool. I'm like, I wonder why they never invite me to the celebration. Seems like a really important thing. But I don't really know anything about God or Jesus or Easter. And I guess I'm not invited. If Christians really believed in the power of Easter and the power of the resurrection, why don't they invite everyone? I think it's because they didn't believe that their prayers have power. Because if they did, they would know that the people that are invited would say yes. They will walk confidently. But eventually my dad's friend invited us and we came to church and Jesus changed our life. And maybe you have a similar story too. And now we get to be that for someone else. We get to pray for them. God put us in, our, in their life for a reason. We can pray for them and we can invite them. If you already know Jesus, every week we do an altar call, basically where we ask people to trust in him and we pray for them and we celebrate and it's amazing. If you're someone that knows Jesus though, God might give you a burden for someone else in this room. You might start to feel heavy. You might start to feel like, whoa, I almost want to raise my hand, but that's weird because I know Jesus. God's doing that so you can intercede for them. He's looking for people who will pray. Your prayers have power. My preaching has power, but your prayers have power. God wants to work through both of us, all of us together.